Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. In this episode, we catch up with Ben Player, who is not only a three times world bodyboarding champion, a fantastic advocate for the ocean, a business leader and entrepreneur, but just an all round great guy. I first met Ben during his role as an ambassador for Take Three for the Sea and was really impressed not only by his incredible athleticism, but his passion and commitment for conservation. We caught up with Ben near his home in Avalon Beach, New South Wales, Australia. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Ben. If you do, please write a review and share it widely. Thank you for listening. Benny, here we are. Tim, hello. <laughs> We're going to have a bit of a chat at what is a pretty impressive little office space. This is actually where you, you work out of in here in this little boat shed. Yeah, that's right. I work out of here with a mate of mine and um, started working out here about six months ago and it's been a game changer. I love like anytime like, I get stressed out in my work day and feel like I need a bit of a break or I need to get a different perspective on something, I just like walk out there, look in the ocean and, and kind of steady yourself and um, yeah, it feels great. I could imagine the inspiration would definitely flow being in this space. Um, tell everyone tuning in like, where we are in the world right now and, and maybe sure. even a little bit of what this place means to you. So right now we're in a place called Clareville which is on the Pittwater side of Avalon where I grew up. Uh, Avalon's a place, um, like the first kind of hometown that I ever lived in and um, now I'm 40 years old and lived here for 38 of those years, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so yeah, so I'm pretty familiar with it all. Like I used to play on this beach when I was a kid and probably used to jump off, it, off this uh, this wharf here when I was a kid and everything like that. So it's a very personal place to me. And um, for me personally, like uh, being near ocean is super important as well, or being near water. I've noticed that most um, times in my life, um, most important things have usually happened near the ocean. And uh, I seem to you know, resonate quite well with it. And, Whenever I do interviews and stuff like that, it always seems to happen around the ocean. Uh, the guy who's filming right now, his name is Josh Kirkman, and we actually did a, another podcast, and that was at Avalon Beach. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like I always kind of choose those places to, to do things like this. Yeah, well, uh, obviously, you know, your career as as an athlete revolves around the ocean and and your your business as well. So yeah, let's go a little bit deeper into that. So mm. what the ocean means to you maybe even sharing some of the, the highlight experiences or the most formative experiences that you've had in amongst the ocean you've you spent probably most of your life in yeah. the ocean or around it so yeah just go a little bit deeper there for us yeah it's, i mean my my a big part of my existence has been in the ocean like what you say um and some of the most important moments of my life have been the ocean. you know like winning world titles competing um having the the the, the best moments of my life have been in the ocean like there's a there's such a like a, a strong bond that I have with it. As long as it's you know they're learning a lot of things from the ocean. Um, it's kind of like the, the, one of the most attractive things about the ocean, and something that a lot of people don't really understand is the fact it does not ever care who you are or what you've done or anything like that. It'll smash you equally as much as anyone else, and it's the it's the constant um, equalizer. And I think it's a really beautiful thing about the ocean is that. You can think that you're someone and you can think that you're doing all this and doing all that and you've got this huge ego and this like somewhat of a, an awareness of who you are and then it's like, no, you're not that. Like, this is who you are. You're nothing. And uh, I think it's been really healthy for my 
growth as a human being um, to always be in that ocean and to, and to learn from that because, you know, I started being a professional bodybuilder from the age of 16. I was getting paid a pretty good amount of money um, off Quicksilver and Moray bodyboards at the time, bodyboarding. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I got pretty ahead of myself and started thinking, hey, man, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty cool. I'm, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm making good money and, and all that. And then, uh, you know, through, through my kind of um, 20s and... I, I learned a lot from the ocean, but then I kind of equalized through that period. And then 30s, I became more and more aware about, you know, equality and stuff like that. And it's been it's been a really important, uh, I guess, growth curve for me, is, is having that. And it's all due from the ocean. So for me, like, a, a, my perspective on the ocean is somewhat different than someone else's. A lot of people look at the ocean and they think, oh, it's a playground and then you get to do all this kind of stuff. But for me, it's, it's more of a kind of spiritual center. I go that it equalized and I go that it balance and and kind of remove myself from everything else and, and get perspective quite often on things. So that's a really important place for me. So it's safe to say if we took the ocean out of your life, that would be um, a, bit of a, a bit of a bleak existence for you. I think I'd be somewhat crazy. <laughs> I'd probably look even more crazy than what I do. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, we'd definitely be super bleak and uh, I'd go as far to say I'd be quite depressed. When were you around, so everyone tuning in, um, you've been a, an ambassador for Take Three for the Sea for a long time, and that's probably where we really forged um, the next level of, of our relationship, and we've you know, been able to talk about you know, significant environmental issues and, and try and share those stories. Um, I recall when a few years ago um, we, we told a story, and it never really saw the light of day, but I think we should, we should reflect upon it now. Um, it was your experiences with dolphin here in, in, in Pitwater um, and what was an incredible story and I think we do need to dig it out of the archives and, and get it out there. We can talk about the reasons why we chose not to but just recount a little bit about that experience. I, I could just see how profound that was and I think everyone would similarly find it profound. <laughs> that was one of the best experiences of my life, 100%. Um, it was like... I somehow managed to create like a, a really beautiful bond with a wild uh, dolphin and it began uh, one day I was driving along the road down at Palm Beach and I saw all these people peering over the water uh, at the wharf there where the wharf goes out where the ferry goes out to takes people to the central coast what are looking at so I quickly parked the car and, and ran out there and saw there's a dolphin like just swimming all around so I was like right I just stripped off my shirt took my shoes off jumped in in my pants and we're swimming around with this dolphin and it was like, at the time, like it was, it was, it was really like a really beautiful creature, but it was kind of keeping its distance and, um, and, and I wasn't trying to get too close to it. I was kind of just letting it do its own thing. And then um, for the next week or seven or eight days after that, I'd go back there every day and I would be there and, and we'd play and managed to kind of create this crazy relationship to the point where uh, like I felt like we were kind of communicating with each other. Like I'd go underwater and, and I nicknamed it Dolly. And Dolly would grab a piece of seaweed and would bring it up and, and give it to me. Uh, or like another time it was like a leather jacket fish. It grabbed it like in its nose and, and pushed it up to me. And I'd, I'd, I'd hold the leather jacket and, and study it and it would study it with me. And then it, it would show me like a, a, a buried anchor under, under the water. I pulled the anchor up and, and we'd study it and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and like, I, I'm, I was always nuts, man. Like I felt like a, one of those weird dolphin trainers, and not the kind that try and do it to pick up chicks because I had a relationship at the time. But um, <laughs> like I, I, I'd be able to put my hand up under underwater, and, and and she would know to like like swim into my hand, and I'd get dragged along by it, and 
it would open up its mouth and I'd scratch its tongue and it was like it was a crazy crazy amount of trust that we developed uh, in a short amount of time and um, it, it came to an unfortunate end because um, like a, a lot of people started finding out about it and they started jumping in and instead of I guess giving her a chance to be able to have her own space and do what she wanted to do and come to them like they were all going up to her and trying to like pat her and stuff like that and that's one thing I never tried to do with her. I'd just kind of like let her have her own space and I'd be on the peripheral and let her kind of come up to me. And that's, I think that's how we developed that relationship is just like through a kind of understanding about what the, what the barriers were and, and like an all, all good kind of relationships. But it kind of made me really aware about like how intelligent these creatures are. You know, the fact that it was like trying to interact with me, trying to show me things and stuff like that. Um, and then sadly, uh, I read in a, in a news article about two years later, it actually drowned. Uh, over on the central coast and it was like it drowned as a result of uh, marine debris like there was this super graphic photo and it, it made me so sad and just think about it, it makes me sad it like pretty much got strangled in like ropes and, and a net and uh they had this photo you know with it with it up on a boat and um it's like eyes were like popping out and stuff like that it made me so sad you know the fact that there i was like i'd created this beautiful bond and this beautiful relationship with this wild animal it trusted me and I trusted it, like trust me enough that, you know, and I trusted it enough that it would open its mouth and I'd scratch its tongue, you know, I knew it wasn't gonna bite down on my hand. And there was this beautiful bond that we created and then I really felt like I let her down and, and kind of betrayed that trust by, by you know, being one of those humans that potentially um, aided in, in her death. Like, I, you know, I used to go fishing and stuff like that and I probably used to throw a fishing line and stuff out there and created this real sense of awareness about you know, what happens when we do put stuff into the ocean and, and it's it's that, you know, it kills marine creatures and beautiful marine creatures too that shouldn't shouldn't ever be, you know, at, that, at risk of, of that. So it's really sad and a really confronting thing and I guess that was a big reason why I really wanted to get behind Take Three as well um, because I thought it was a really beautiful message about, you know, just being a little bit responsible and also aware about where all of our stuff goes, all of our rubbish goes and and our waste goes and um, just like not necessarily having to make any huge life changes just being aware and uh, and so yeah I've been a kind of ambassador for all things environmental and uh, trying to reduce the amount of plastic waste that goes into the ocean since then yeah I think it's really interesting when it goes from a statistic and you know everyone is uh, aware of the big numbers around how many individual animals suffer as a result of this problem of, of plastics and marine debris but that personal relation, yeah. that personal connection turns that tiny fraction of the big number into something just so profound. Yeah. What about then, I mean, so we we worked with a, a, a legend, Adrian Emerton, to, to tell your story, thinking this was an incredible story that would motivate thousands and thousands of people around the world to think, oh, next time I see that bit of rope on a beach, the same bit of rope that a boat owner or mm. someone, a fisherman, might have been able to prevent from killing Dolly... And when we told that story, it was bizarre, but within a matter of hours, we had people from the environment space sort of saying that we were um, sort of romanticising or even encouraging humans to go and create relationships with wild animals and that that was actually going to cause more harm than good. How, how did it feel when we sort of, when that came out and we had to totally reassess what we thought was an incredible piece of communication? Well, this is the weird thing is that humans... We all think that we're this elite being and we're at the top of this pyramid and stuff like that. But through my interactions with Dolly and, and other animals as well, like I've, I've come to the belief that there is such 
a strong intelligence in so many other animals and a sense of spirit as well. You know, playfulness and joking and all that kind of things that comes through in other animals. And I think it's pretty silly to think that as humans, like these people's response, saying that as humans, like, oh, we're, we're encouraging this, this behavior and it's actually really bad for it. It's actually, that animal is actually intelligent enough to make up its decision on, on what it wants to do. Like in that situation with my interaction with Dolly, it didn't go to every single person in that group. You know, at, at, the later, at the later stages of our interactions, there'd be 20 people in the water, but it wouldn't go to any of those other people who would seek me out and come and play with me because we developed this bond and relationship. Now, it's not like, you know, all these other humans, you know, could have potentially created the bond with it. If it's true what these people are saying, you know, they could have forced a relationship onto it, but it's intelligent enough to know that it doesn't want to do that. And so I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I believe that you know the, the the relationship and bond that we had was a was a unique thing, and I don't think it would really make much of a difference if anyone like just jumped in the water with a wild dolphin. I don't think that interaction is going to come. Yeah, and probably some unique circumstances around this uh, this dolphin, yeah. you know, maybe being extricated or something from sure. an original population. So, you know, you could almost look at the other side of it and say, well, you know, if it has made these decisions to to be a loner and to interact with humans. In some ways, maybe its its history was already written in that yeah. regard. It had excluded itself from that setting. So, a disastrous story, but I think a really important one. And yeah. your insights there are, are amazing. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into you know your attitudes as an environmentalist, and you can maybe start by just sort of saying, have you always been of this mindset around environmental action, or or has it? swelled and grown over the years like where are you at now compared to where you were as a teenager in terms of your environmental attitude yeah that's a good question so as a teenager i was at the center of my universe and had no respect or uh understanding of anyone else in that space it was all about me and what i wanted to do and perhaps that's the reason why i excelled as a competitor because i was like it was all about me i blocked out everyone else and i had a goal and that's all that mattered um, but the, the older I've become, the more, I guess, aware I've been of things around me and, um, and my environment and uh, just the kind of general knowledge of things. Um, I guess, you know, earlier I touched on the subject that I feel like in my 20s and 30s, I really learned from the ocean about uh, equalizing and, and, and balance and, and I guess um, having more respect for everything and everyone else around me. And I think that's been a really strong thing that the ocean has taught me is, is that kind of be more aware of everyone else and um, respecting everything around me and I think my kind of desires to help the environment has kind of come from that uh, further compounded by my interactions with Dolly um, it's kind of led me to this situation where I'm at in, in, in life now where you know I'm, I'm kind of guess I'm at the stage where I'm seeking as much information as I as I can find to to further um, grow my uh, my I guess experience and knowledge of of things on the planet and and I guess how we kind of sit in the balance of things and yeah to be honest with you like it, it I do get pretty 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 depressed sometimes when I see the the amount of destruction and bad things that we're doing to the planet and I don't think it's sustainable and, and something definitely needs to change I mean um, population growth is like going crazy uh, I read a statistic the other day that it's like doubled in the last 30 years or something like that and that's like, you know, don't quote me on that. It was something like that. But that's 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 gnarly. That's true because in another thirty years, like, is it going to double again? Like, we're already having issues now. What's going to happen then? 
And, you know, like it really starts to make you aware of like the, the potential repercussions of our actions. Um, you know, it might be, you know, all marine life dying or it might be um, all of our food sources going or it might be contamination of water or it might be uh, carbon in the air and, and heating up the planet. There's any number of things that might happen, but all of which are going to have an impact on where we're going to be in the future. So the thing is, is that the time is, is, is pretty crucial and critical right now that we do make change. Um, because if we don't make change and we get to that point, then there's going to be chaos. You know, if we get to that point where we've got shortages of things and there's huge issues with getting water, getting food, getting fish, getting getting food, whatever it is, you know, we're going to, humans going to, like, society's going to go into chaos. And that's a situation that we really don't want to get to. Um, so I guess, like, as an individual, I'm trying more and more to get more awareness about things I can do to, to make the world better and, and, uh, and trying to encourage, I guess, other people to do that as well. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's a great it's, you know, way of, I guess, addressing these problems is to is to look at you know yourself and the individual, and you know we all have a sphere of influence, and and for you being um, you know such a recognised figure in in this space of bodyboarding and as an ocean athlete, but I just wanted to sort of you know, focus a little bit deeper onto that because you know you did make a pretty solid, profound public declaration in the context of the Australian bushfires and. Particularly, I suppose the the impact on the south coast of New South Wales, a place that's very dear to you. But you know, you're, I'm going to read out your Instagram post because um, you know your 66,000 odd followers, um, you know, reacted mostly in support, but some people maybe not quite as supportive as you'd hope for. But this is a this is a profound declaration. So it says to Mother Nature and to everyone that has lost something as a result of these fires, I am sorry. I take full responsibility for the way in which you and the home you created has been burnt and treated. When it started burning in Australia, my first emotion was fear. Then fear turned to anger, then anger turned to blame, and now I'm finally sitting somewhere close to acceptance. I now realise that my actions and inactions have contributed to the way that you have been treated. I tried desperately hard to blame the Australian government for the poor management and leadership of the Australian bushfires. I like to think that it was Scott Morrison if I was Scott Morrison, I would have acted as a leader and been on the ground to help and call on my neighbours to help those in need. I like to think that I would have listened to the Australian people and used all resources available to help all humans, plants and animals that call this great land home. But I realise I'm not the Australian government, but I'm still as much to blame for this crisis happening. From this day, I pledge that I will not make those mistakes again. I will use your sacrifices and the fire on your back to ignite a change in myself and I hope others will follow. I will use my voting power and make choices that I will invert the triangle and put you at the top, us in the middle, and leaders at the bottom. I hope it isn't too late, and I hope you can accept my apology. Love, Ben Player. What was um, what was going through your mind at that time, and how does that feel, digesting oh. that on, on reflection? I could kind of touch on in that message, I guess. Um, my reaction to the bushfires was probably like everyone's. It was like fear. I was like, how is this going to... How is this going to affect me? How is it going to affect my lifestyle? And, and you know, am I going to lose things and loved ones and all that kind of stuff? And uh, that was, it was a really scary time in Australia. Like, our, our skies were black. I remember one day I was sitting here and the sky was black and there was actually, like, ash falling. And, uh, and, and, then, and then, you know, a couple of weeks, like, this went on for, for, for the people that aren't aware. Like, this went on for weeks and weeks. I think three months all up and it's still burning now. And um, I guess... My, the reason why I felt the desire to write that post was because 
something didn't really sit right with me about everyone on social media kind of saying that someone else was to blame. Like everyone was saying like, oh yeah, like this person's to blame, that person's to blame. Uh, it's it's not my fault. Like I'm, I've got nothing to do with this. And um, it, was, it was actually something that my brother said um, after we surfed in the surf spot down south last year. I'll, go, I'll, t I'll tell you this story about this surf. So we went and had this surf at this beautiful place called Depot Beach. Uh, the waves were like eight to 12 feet, really perfect, incredible huge waves. And it was really crowded, right? And um, when when the session was finished and done, everyone left. But what was left behind was like rubbish and all this kind of stuff. But then there was this thing that happened on social media where the blame game began. Like everyone was saying like, all these people like coming here and doing this and, and all that. But then that didn't sit right with me. And my brother actually pointed this out. He said like, you know, it's as if like all these people like are saying that they weren't there and, and they, they had nothing, no participation in any of this. But everyone was like we were all there i was there so were all the other people and so were the people making these comments but instead of them accepting that they were there and they were part of that issue they, they try to blame other people because it, it feels better to blame it on someone else and this is the same thing that kind of happened within social media after the bushfires everyone else was like fearful scared and and wondering how it was going to affect them and instead of like saying hey like wow like this is the result of me this is the result of my lifestyle choices and, and my actions um, and putting my hand up and saying, hey, I'm going to change things. They go and like blame on someone else because it's easier to do that than to accept blame. And so I thought, you know what? Stuff this. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm probably going to get scorched for it. But I'm going to say that I'm, I'm, I'm partly to blame for this because I am. And so are you and, and so is Josh over there. Everyone's to blame for this. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a sad thing, but it's it's the way it is. I mean, we could have uh, you know voted for, for better policies. We could have done many 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 things that might have changed that from happening but instead we didn't and then you know the result was that these bushfires happened and then we blame other people for it it doesn't really sit right with you but what i also go on to say in in that instagram message was talking about inverting the triangle now this is something that uh, it's, it's been like hasn't been sitting properly with me for a long time is how i think a lot of australians think about politics and and leadership that you know they're at the top of the kind of pyramid that that we're all down the bottom and, and we have to look up to them and, and they, they make all these changes and stuff like, we need to change that that way we kind of look at those things. And we need to think about those people working for us. And that essentially is what politics is all about. All these people work for us. So we're at the top, we're at the top of this pyramid. And we if we want to make some actions and we want to make some changes, we just need to collaborate and get together and, and work out that message and then find someone to basically action all those things. And that's something that the Australian public needs to do. I actually think it's a weird psychological thing that's left over from the convict days is this fear of leadership and, and fear of anyone else that seems to have more power and authority for them. And uh, in Australia, I, I really do believe that that needs to change. And then we, we won't be in, 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 in the situation that we are blaming other people. We're, we're going to be at the center point of all those decisions and, and in the power that we can make those changes. So that's great. You've made that sort of declaration of yourself and, and taking responsibility and then that obviously then percolates out to that sphere of influence you have around you and hopefully that then translates into people then demanding for the change that's going to lead to the future that we all believe in. What are some of the other levers that need to be pulled out there and this whole new venture for me and why I'm sitting here having a conversation under this name of the Ocean Impact Organisation podcast is that for me it feels time that we need business as unusual. So maybe this is a little bit of a segue into 
you know, what happens in your world in the context of how, um, how you do business and maybe it's a bit of a glimpse into what the future could look like with better business, business mm. for good, purpose-based business. For sure, it's a good question. So I guess in my life, uh, you know, I've talked about leadership, I've talked about where I've come from with my environmental stances, I've talked about my existence with the ocean and why it's so important to me. So um, at this stage of my life now, I'm 41 years old, I've been riding a bodyboard all my life and I've been in the ocean the majority of my life. And it's been such an important part of, of my existence and I've learned so much from it and owe so much to it as well. Um, I, I now uh, own, a, own a business which imports and distributes um, like soft surfboards and bodyboards and stuff like that. And I mean, it doesn't really sit right with me too that I talk about um, making environmental changes and, and doing good for the environment when, you know, I'm actually importing a product or products that might be detrimental to the environment. Plastics. Uh, we, we're talking about bodyboards or boogie boards and soft surfboards. They're made out of uh, like usually a polyethylene foam, foam core with like a skin around the outside. Um, the way these things are manufactured isn't, it's not that bad for the environment. I mean, it's not great, but there would be some kind of a carbon footprint as a result. But what is bad is uh, the way these, these are wasted or, or put into landfill. Um, because plastics, as we know, don't really break down that well, and um, a lot of them are made from uh, like beaded, beaded foams, so like an EPS, expanded polystyrene, which has a tendency to break apart and be really hard to contain. And so, about two years ago, I started heading off in this different direction where I've been trying to find a way to be able to create a, 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 a bodyboard and a surfboard that's better for the environment. And after two years, I'm, I'm pretty confident that I've found a solution. I'm not quite there yet, so I can't talk entirely about it, but I'm pretty pretty confident that I've found a solution for a, a, a closed loop recycling program for, for surfboards and bodyboards. And I think that's, uh, you know, we can all do our little thing, you know? That's a small little thing. It's, it's maybe not going out and making policy changes that are gonna stop bushfires, and it's not necessarily going and stopping all marine debris from getting into the ocean, but it's leveraging my strengths. My strengths are that I'm from a background of surfing, from bodyboarding. I'm in a position with a business that I can make a positive impact and change, and this is how I'm going to do it. And so I've been devoting two years of my life into trying to get this thing sorted, and I believe like I'm right there, right on the, on the starting stepping stones of, of being able to roll this thing up. That's really exciting, Benny, and I think, um, you know, obviously, the need to innovate and improve and, and lessen the impact of, of businesses is really key. Um, but I suppose the other side of it is that the ocean is such an incredible source of inspiration that anyone listening out there who may be on a high and mighty tower going, oh, you know, what, what's that? Like the, you know, it's known that the surf industry is, is full of petrochemical um, materials and additives and that yeah. of course that has an impact. But look at the power of the ocean going and the surfing community to actually be a force of change. And I think that's yeah. finally starting to be realised in Australia now with some solid campaigning around the drilling for oil and gas around the Bight or along the northern beaches to Newcastle or Sydney. We're talking about seismic testing. And you can mobilise surfers. We don't have the greatest track record in the past. We're quite individual and a little bit selfish sometimes. But when our back is against the wall and when our the place that we love so much is threatened. My gosh, can we can we make a rocket? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But that, that that comes back to this whole thing about like uh, it's a real human emotion. Is like I, you know, everyone thinks like I want to make positive change, but I don't want to have to change my lifestyle as a result. 
Like, I want to do all these things, but just as long as I don't have to change and just as long as I don't have to sacrifice anything in my life. And that's, you know, that's that's typical. And I think that's something that as a business owner and, and any kind of leader and, and anyone out there is, you need to make sure that any kind of changes that we're making are gonna be bite-sized, you know? Are gonna be small enough that um, general public is gonna be accepting of it and it's not gonna be too much of an extension from their comfort zone. Um, so it's gonna be gradual and it's gonna take some time. But by doing that, it's like in the grand scheme of things, over the space of 30 years, we can make you know vast differences. And so that's something that I'm aware of as well. Is like I don't want to go out there and, and bring out a wood, a, a, a bodyboard or a surfboard made of wood because no one's going to buy it. If I can bring out a product that's pretty similar but better, then you know will be accepted. And like I said, just as long as people don't have to change their lifestyle and make too many sacrifices, then they will accept and adopt that. Yeah, one of the lines on our sort of vision statements in our early business planning was that we move, need to move this narrative across from that sustainability is a, is a cost or is a compromise to sustainability is profitability. And so what you're saying there is in a future where we do have this sustainable relationship sorted, people are being sustainable without even knowing yeah. or waving the flag, look exactly. at me, I'm being sustainable. Yeah. It just is. Yeah, it just is. But obviously people like yourself who are those innovators and are going to strive for that change, you take on the burden and the weight of all that because you need to be the one investing in the expense or finding yeah, that yeah. way of navigating because you are getting from a status quo into this new frontier. So it's so hard, man. I'll support you wherever <laughs> I can, mate. Thanks, Tim. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, we'll maybe just touch on one other point there before we sort of start to wrap things up. So sort of just thinking about the future and acknowledging um, that, you know, your life has transformed from being that professional bodyboarder and that being your you know, your identity to, to now moving, you're 41, you're about to get married, like, how are you feeling now about Ben Player and, 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 and how are you feeling about the future in the context of what we've been talking about today? Just a <laughs> that's, small that's question. A question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, de definitely not going into the big questions here. I'd say um, it's uh, something I've been uh, becoming more and more aware of through my life is like, the person that we are when we're 20 doesn't need, need to be the person that we are when we're 41. You know, we can develop, grow, and change all throughout our lives. And the person I'm going to be when I'm 50 and 60 isn't necessarily going to be the same person I was when I was 40. And that's the beauty of being an intelligent and aware person like you and like I am, is that you can constantly be looking at yourself and getting a perspective on where you're at and going like, actually, I could be better. I could change this about myself and I can do that and this. And the person that I am now at 41 compared to the person I was when I was in my teens, 20s, 30s is completely different and it's constantly evolving. And that's something I really love about myself is the fact I can, I can, I can get that perspective on myself and, and see where I've come from and see where I am now. And uh, the, the, the most radical change that I had in that, in that 41 years was when I stopped being a professional bodyboarder and then I started being an entrepreneur and, and owning my own business and trying to find another way to make money, right? Um, there, was, there was a huge shift in, in my outlook on things because I, get, I came from you know, having contracts and, and just being able to have money to surf and my single goal was just to get results in an event. That was my single goal, there was nothing else. And uh, I was pretty good at that. And so it was, it was all pretty simple. That's all there was. And then that stopped quite abruptly. I got two weeks notice. And, uh, and then just completely shifted everything. and and started this new business, this new enterprise with, uh, with my business partner, Dave Winchester, who's also a retired professional bodyguard. But there was, this, there was this really hard time where I had 
had to really shift, um, I guess, my concept of who I was, you know, what my identity was and, and what I kind of stand for. And uh, that took some time, you know, for, for a long time, I would, I would, for probably the first two years actually as a business, whenever the waves were good, I'd be at work and I'd be regretting that I wasn't surfing because I felt like I should be surfing because, you know, that's where I used to achieve my goals. And then, and then when I was surfing, I'd feel guilty that I wasn't working. So the whole time I had this sense of guilt because I was like unsure about what my actual identity was and what, what I guess my kind of goals were. But now, like uh, some five years after we started this business, I have a firm idea about what my identity is and, and where I sit in all of this. And, uh, and I'm quite confident with who I am and, and, and comfortable with who I am. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'd have to say kind of proud of myself of how I made that transition. Because it's not easy for athletes to do. It's actually really, really difficult. You know, you've gone from being someone and, and, and having such kind of core focuses to then shifting that and, and having to adapt into a different lifestyle. But I've always been pretty lucky in that I've been really good at setting goals with, with my professional career. I used to have a list of goals uh, for every surf which I used to try and achieve. You know, just like small bite-sized kind of goals which I'd go out and try and do like little technical things and stuff like that. And I was always really good at setting those goals and that's something that I learned from my professional career which I was able to adapt into business. It's not much different, you know, business is the same. You want to set one giant grand goal, whatever it might be, it might be you know, owning a waterfront place with a wharf and um, and you think, okay, so how am I going to achieve that? I'm going to break that down into multiple, multiple smaller goals and then actions and then it becomes achievable, right? And I guess that's, I've really adapted that to, to my business life and it's been a really, um, I've been really fortunate that I can do that and I had that awareness of how to how to do that in big business. Awesome. Well, um, the world is, is better for having you, um, Benny, and um, I'm certainly looking forward to where Know, your career as an individual um, and as an entrepreneur uh, takes you in the future. So I'm going to leave um, last any closing words to you, mate. Do you want to wrap this thing up and tell people where they can um, learn more about you if they want to follow you? Uh, yeah, I guess um, keep an eye out for, for what I'm up to with the, with the surfboards and bodyboards. Uh, hoping the next year I get to bring something out into the marketplace. That's pretty exciting. I'm really excited about that. Um, apart from that, I guess uh, Instagram is probably the uh, best vehicle for all communication. My name is uh, Ben underscore player. You'll see a bunch of bodyboarding photos up there. I still bodyboard quite a lot. Very impressive bodyboarding very... photos and videos, I might add. <laughs> I'm very passionate about that still and I love doing it. It's my freedom place and um, my spiritual kind of home. So that's where I, where I love to be and it's still a big part of my makeup. Um, and yes, yeah, stay tuned anyway, but um, thanks for having me, Tim. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. You're doing great things as well, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thank you.
Yeah.